Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello and welcome to the AEW Dynamite Review. I'm Adam Wilborn from What Culture, joined by one of the Dudley Boys, Michael Sidgwick from What Culture, to review everything that happened on last night's episode of AEW Dynamite. But before we get into it, if you're a fan of this sort of thing, make sure you subscribe to What Culture Wrestling on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, wherever you get your podcasts from, for daily wrestling podcasts, where we not only review AEW Dynamite, but also AEW Collision, Raw, SmackDown, the show formerly known as NXT 2.0. Oh, pay-per-views, premium live events. We have interviews, roundtable discussions, and a roundup of the week complete with a bigger quiz, of course, on WrestleCulture. As I said, they're joined by Michael Sidgwick to review last night's episode of AEW Dynamite. And uh, Tony Khan does know all-ins in a month, right? I was just mystified and bored watching this, to be perfectly honest. Um, usually, I one way or the other, whether it's just completely chaotic, completely brilliant, or completely all over the shop, I'm full of takes and opinions and emotions for AEW Dynamite. I barely got a tweet out this morning. Same. Like, I usually like to do a couple of tweets about AEW Dynamite um, as, like, a preview for the podcast. And, you know, because it's the game of Twitter, Mm -hmm. I kind of need it for my career. Um, Sorry, X. X, yes. X. X. I just struggled. I absolutely struggled to form any coherent thoughts about the content. Um, This is just so weird, man. Like, people wanted, ahead of last night's show, real firm direction for All In. Yes. People want to be excited for this show. People want to be excited about what is literally the biggest show in AEW history. I came away from this Dynamite, if anything, feeling the opposite of hype. Because people wanted firm storyline direction, maybe even a match or two set. Um, and instead, they got a stylistically homogenized card of action that never really reached the peaks that each match was capable of. I'm watching four high spot driven matches. Like this embodied the cliche of what bad faith podcasters say <laughs> about this show yeah. at times. And. As a general point, because I can't really talk that... It's not the best lead-in for a pod, I'm sorry. (laughs) But as a general point, I'm just wondering what's going on in this company. I've said all along, with the advent of collision and the fact that certain political situations haven't been worked out, the main feeling I get from AEW this year is, oh, it's all bittersweet. Mm. It's all bittersweet. It's not what it could be. There's political reasons not created for that. Um, So I've struggled to get on board with the post-collision direction, knowing what could be. And now I'm just thinking, like, what are you doing? Like, 
there are people who've been hired on the creative side. There are wrestlers who have been promoted mm -hmm. to the creative side or doing a secondary role in the creative side. There are people who have been hired to transform the production. And we've heard all of these stories from the beginning of the year to now, and I'm thinking, what are you actually doing? Mm. It's like the more you are expanding, the worse the product is getting. Yeah. I, d I don't know what to make of this. Let's just go straight in. Yeah, I just... <laughs> it was a surreal experience watching this show because there was some great stuff on there. Like, I love watching Darby Allen and Swerve in a ring together. There was some not great stuff on there as well, and trust me, we'll get to that mm -hmm. in due course. And, you know, there was noteworthy stuff. The whole AR Fox sort of arc on this show is, is important to talk about in due course. But it's very rare that I come off the back of a dynamite. I mean, it's an easy cheat sheet recently because it's all been blood and guts focused. Yeah. But it's rare that I come into work and think, what am I going to title the podcast? Not that that's, you know, important, but I got a real sense off the back of the show of like, what was the headline off the back of this week's dynamite? There was stuff that happened, but nothing like, you know... Nothing Wembley-sized. No. And and I, I get it. There's what... But prior to this show, so... Prior to this show, there was five Dynamites. There's now four Dynamites till All In, which means presumably there's only five Dynamites now till All Out. They're after each other, a week after each other, aren't they? And I, I, I get it. You don't want to blow your load and do all the... Now it's all the matches... Last night. Do six pay-per-views a year? Well, yeah. If there's ever a time, particularly with AEW's model, to get fans on board with the direction, to really start building your angles, like, a month is absolutely, like, fine to demand, expect, nay, demand some proper direction and mm. some hype, and I got nothing. Yeah, like, no, nothing. I know you can infer stuff. You can infer, well, my Orange Cassidy and... and, and uh, John Moxley could be coming together for something. Adam Cole has just promised MJF a world title match at some point. You know, the tag titles are on the line on Saturday's collision and what have you. Uh, Athena's putting out challenges for Chris Statland as we hear today. But, yeah, if I asked you, name the all-in card or name five matches that you are 99% confident will be on all-in, I think you'd have an easier job booking all-out. And that's yeah. after that. Yeah, and to be fair, the tease directions, they don't scream to me biggest pay-per-view of the year, yeah. much less in AEW history. And it's it's so surreal because I'm not going to sit here and say AEW have taken their eye off the ball or their foot off the gas after selling all those tickets, but it does feel like they've gone, the hard work's kind of done. Yeah, it doesn't feel like we are on the eve a month away from the biggest show they've ever done, which this is. Yeah. Anyway, let's get into this show because I, I'm, I'm fascinated. I'm regularly on a Thursday morning, watch the show, give my, you know, have my opinions of it, and then think, right, what should I actually think? And then look at yours <laughs> and Hamlet's Twitter, basically. And yeah, I looked at your Twitter this morning, and it was such a, like, it, like you say, it was just such a, yeah, yeah, the show's happened. This show existed. My football team has had a nil-nil draw. Yeah. So, you know, we didn't get thrashed, but we also didn't do a lot. It didn't do out. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, op show opens. Nice sort of setup. This. So, you've got the uh, international championship match, AR Fox challenging Orange Cassidy, which was set up on uh, last week's Dynamite. Yes, because Darby Allen said, Look, mm. he took me in when I was homeless. It would mean a lot to me, my tag team partner, if you could do him this solid. Yes. 
and they they show a nice uh, compilation of the history between Darby Allen and AR Fox, and obviously with what was to come, Darby Allen sort of vouching for AR Fox, you know, giving him a place to stay whilst he was training, and so he didn't have to live out of his car, and um, helping him out with with learning stuff and, and food and things like that. Um, Darby Allen basically says, if anyone deserves a shot, it's AR Fox, because without him, there might not be a Darby Allen. Um, so AR Fox comes out to challenge for the title. Uh, Cassidy's 27th title defense, which is a lot, which and even more astonishing when I can't think of too many, not even bad, average ones. Yeah. Which is just wild, especially because of the wide variety of opponents he's faced. I also kind of get, take a perverse joy out of each bit of tape he might as well have someone's name on it. Like, right, his neck's buggered because of this title defense. Yeah. And his back's buggered. He's just slowly becoming covered in kinesio tape, courtesy of other wrestlers, basically. Um, so Fox gets sucked into the Orange Cassidy bit straight away. Hands in pocket, mind games. Um, but when Cassidy gets sent outside, there's a moonsault to the floor by AR Fox. Uh, and he gets him back inside, and he's using his speed. He hits a roll-through suplex, but, or goes to hit it, I should say, Cassidy counters into a stun dog millionaire. Um, Fox comes back with a leaping cutter and a twisting brain buster for a near fall to take us to a break. When we come back, they counter each other's cutters and both hit a sort of double neck breaker to take them both down. Um, Fox sends Orange Cassidy to the outside. Huge somersault out there. Sent on back inside for an ash two count. Goes for his finish. Cassidy counters into a dive of his own and a spinning DDT back in the ring that uh, led to beach break. AR Fox kicks out of that. Fox blocks the orange punch. Uh, sets Cassidy up in the corner. Hits uh, his finish for a... Or was it low main pain, is it? For a near fall. Um, Cassidy goes to the apron. Fox hits a rolling thunder and a DDT back inside. Goes to the top rope 450. Orange Cassidy moves. And in counteracting him moving, AR Fox rolls through, seemingly tweaks his ankle. Um, and Cassidy targets that, fakes him out, grabs the ankle, mouse traps him. One, two, three. I think they missed the finish by, they missed the peak by two minutes or mm. so. I think they did a few too many false finishes. And you could hear the crowd kind of get a little bit. I know they just quietened down, and I think that might be because they didn't really take Fox seriously yeah. as someone who's going to go 15 minutes. I thought they expected going into this, oh, this will be a nice, fun match, 10 minutes of TV time. You know, you keep Cassidy taking, you build up this record. But I don't blame them for going this amount of time because you kind of had to, given the story that was told. So the story is AR Fox has had probably... Well, definitely, given his win-loss record and how poor it is, too many chances. This Six is his, title matches. Yeah, it's ridiculous. Uh, this is his absolute last one. It was called in as a favor. Didn't really deserve it, but he's outmatched Cassidy. He has taken him t to his limit. Um, he's taken him to a, a, a way longer than match than I was expecting. Yeah. I was watching this going, is this, this is getting loads of time. And I was like checking the uh, the... Runtime and everything, and I just think when they did a lot of false finishes, I think people were a little bit stunned that it was going so long, and they were more confused than enthralled. Mm. But it had to go this long because to justify the heel turn, this had to be the absolute last chance, and at the same time, the closest AR Fox as a babyface yes. without taking shortcuts will ever get, and he still couldn't get it done. So I thought the length of the match and how far they took it did justify 
was justified by the story, but the fans not expecting that story just thought, oh, it's getting a bit long. You know mm. what I mean? Yeah, exactly. There were certain elements of this match that I liked, like the sheer snap on that step up the ring post moonsault yeah. to the outside. I love how Cassidy just walked into it <laughs> because he wasn't expecting it to happen that rapidly. Um, connection was beautiful. Um, I like the deception throughout the match. Like they've both got very different patterns of attack. Mm-hmm. And they both outwitted the other at various points. So I was into it. Some of the action was unique, um, but they missed the fin- uh, They missed the peak, but they went long for the reasons I've just outlined. Um, tell you one thing: uh, Ar Fox's remorseful acting. It was like, ah, oh, should I have done that? Piss poor. Mm. It was not good, not convincing. And I tell you what, that's Emmy worthy. Um, in contrast to something else that happened later in the show. Yeah, so post... Well, very close to this. Yeah, so he traps him with the mouse trap. Uh, I did like A.L. Fox's sell of the three-count hits. And, you know, normally people, if they've got beaten, but they, you know, know that they should have probably been able to kick out of that for one reason or another. They usually spin round or they sit up or even they stand up. He just sort of flopped down being like, oh, bollocks. Yeah. And then he gets up. Cassidy celebrates with his title, of course, and uh, acknowledges A.R. Fox. He puts his sunglasses on him and they pose. And then A.R. Fox just steps out of the vision of Cassidy, uh, takes off the sunglasses, snaps them in half, and just twats uh, Orange Cassidy in the gob. Just rolls out, like you say, Darby Allen comes down going, what the bloody hell are you doing? I vouch for you sort of thing. And A.R. Fox is like, Ugh, I don't know, but I don't know why I did that, but it felt like the right thing to do. In the moment. And then in amongst all that as well, whilst Cassidy's like, well, I don't know where that came from. And, you know, uh, Darby and A.R. Fox are uh, arguing on the ramp. Cassidy's like, oh, my bloody neck. <laughs> and then inside's John Moxley out of nowhere. Huge lariat to Cassidy. Death Rider. Um, and Excalibur obviously talks about Cassidy and involvement in the Claudio Ring of Honor match. Yeah. So Moxley versus Cassidy is obviously set for one of the pay-per-views. It's one of those where I don't know if it was just the mood of the evening or what. Like, Mox Cassidy will be amazing when mm-hmm. it happens. And it's one of your best TV draws against the heart and soul of the company. Like, this is big for whatever reason. And I don't know if I can articulate this. I didn't really feel big as it was happening. No. I didn't feel like this huge coming together of two guys who've mm. barely interacted. So it feels like this elusive, highly anticipated thing. I know it just felt a bit small. I, I, I was the same. I, I, I thought, should I be feeling more for this? Because yeah. it's two op- figures that I would never have put together. But I don't know. I, mean, I was the same. I, I, was, I was sort of like, I feel guilty almost for not reacting more to this. It, it is. And, you know, this Wembley show, like when you see they are doing potentially 80,000 yeah. paid at Wembley and they might get 90,000 if they can comp it right. Your mind, understandably, goes to, well, this is the time to do Punk Omega. Yeah. Or Omega Osprey 3 or Omega Ricarda. Like, the absolute dream of dream matches everywhere on the show. And I don't know that the, the reality is kind of creeping in. And it does feel like everything else is lesser than the best matches your mind can dream mm. of. Maybe that's unfair, but Jesus Christ, if you do a Wembley, there's not one thing that has been vaguely teased beyond FTR Bucks 3 that I'm thinking, that is the show, yes. that is the match I was expecting 
to be at Wembley Stadium. Um, I'll let it play out. They've I'll let it play out without bated breath. They're booking for Wembley Arena, but they're working Wembley Stadium. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Chris Jericho and Don Callis are backstage. <laughs> <laughs> I really sometimes wish you could see Cedric's reactions as I go to the next point. Hey, 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 maybe in a couple of months. Hey, that'd be a dream. Um, talks about fans wanting... Don, Don, this is... Uh, talking about fans wanting Jericho to become part of the family. The family. Um, imagine a dream team, you and Kanosuke Takeshita. Jericho's like, hey, wanted to give it a try. Don Cal's like, great, got some good news because I've got some opponents for us. It's Daniel Garcia and Sammy Guevara. Uh, what are the chances? <laughs> uh, I know you said you want them to spread their wings, then how better than this sort of thing? And Jericho sort of reluctantly accepts. Uh, and then Callis reveals that he's commissioned a work of their 1995 promo with Bad News Allen sort of in the sky over the top of these... these like The How Am I Doing Boss meme. Yes. So I really like that. The oil painting was the extent of my enjoyment watching this segment. Painting Law with Don Callis. And I, I love Painting Law. Uh, they're all great. Um, ah, God, I could not hate this anymore. Like, Chris Jericho is f***ing <laughs> shitted acting. <laughs> I didn't see this coming. Wait a second. Wait a second, Michael Sidji. You're telling me the man who could be showcasing the pain maker. Which is... Spider-Man has had his day. <laughs> yes. It's time for the Painmaker. <laughs> not only, not just the Painmaker, but the Painmaker. A love story? Chris Jericho is fantastic in the ring to this day. Yeah. He's great at comedy, a great promo. Um, he can record music. <laughs> he can write books. Like, you'd think, oh, he's the man that can do it all. Yeah. Him doing melodrama is absolutely... I'm staggered by how bad it is. Yeah. I've seen him do wrestling acting before, like in 2008, when he's not doing melodrama or in a conflict. He can do it. Jesus Christ, this was absolutely terrible. The look on his face when Callas said, um, you know, well, it's going to be Garcia and Guevara, which is good, actually, because you want them to spread their wings. Jericho's going, huh. It's like he might as well have said out loud, well done, Callis. I'm interested in aligning with you, Mm -hmm. but Daniel Garcia and Sammy Guevara, who are in the Jericho Appreciation Society, are my friends and protégés, so I'm obviously conflicted. Yes. That's what he said with his incredibly broad face. He is so bad at this. (laughs) We know, obviously, we are incredibly influential wrestling journalists. They always insist that, that people call us that. And, you know, people people understand. I mean, they look at the charts and they go, well, listen to the best one. Um, people listen to this podcast. If anyone in WWE is listening right now, your main priority today is to go in and see Papa Itch and say, Paul, you need to move heaven and earth to re-sign Chris Jericho and insert him into the bloodline story because then, like Family Guy, people will go, Jey Uso, do you get less bad at acting? Yeah, yeah I thought, <laughs> I honestly thought he was abysmal. Like, abysmal. So... I am conflicted, yes. So obvious. Like, what is he doing? He's He's got to be better than this. Yeah. He's Chris Jericho. 
not being funny if Chris Jericho did have a meeting with Triple H. That's the first thing you'd want to glom on. Yeah, isn't granted, it? yeah, it would work. Uh, well, yeah, we're kind of the last guys to do sagas with stable splits. Does this need a saga? Uh, I'm going to get even more annoyed by this later on. So we often talk about the fact that us in the UK have to get up early. Not I'm, Thankfully for right now, I don't have to get up early as you do, but with children, you have to get up at ridiculous o'clock to watch and appreciate this show. And sometimes we're very tired and, you know, it's been a long week and, you know, Dynamite's the last thing we've watched. We've had SmackDown, we've had Collision, Raw, NXT, all that sort of thing, right? And I'll sometimes watch this show and I'm a bit bleary-eyed, I'll be honest, Sige, and maybe I'll I'll shut my eyes for a promo or something just to, just, you know, it's a bit early, right? And then I get into work and I sit down to make my notes for Dynamite and I go, did I... Did I, like, fall asleep for about 30 seconds and dream this? Yeah. This definitely happened. This was the bit of the show that I really had to double-check it actually happened. Did did Don Callis give Chris Jericho an oil painting to, uh, to you know, convince him to become part of the family? And then they, then did we cut to Hook in a subway station who then disappeared when a train went past? That happened, right? That did happen, and for some godforsaken reason... It reminded me of the 1998 introductory Edge vignettes. Yes. Where it's like it's this brooding guy in a subway full of rage. You think you know me? You think you know me? You will never know me. Why is Hook Edge in 1998? <laughs> That's probably preferable to being Edge in 2023. Yeah. But what was this? Yeah. Who's but- filming this? <laughs> what happened to my vaguely sports-oriented presentation? Yeah. Who's filming this? What is it? I don't know. Has he got magic powers? It felt like they put this in. What did this even... What was it? What was the visual metaphor here? What You know what I mean? Yes. Well, I, I felt like the only reason they put this in is so Jack Perry could have that line later on. Which is such a weird backwards way of being like, huh, he's on the train to nowhere. Right, well, people might not get that. What if we show Hook and a train about 10 minutes beforehand? So the train whizzes by, and Hook is sat down on the platform. The train, because a lot of people I don't think watch this dynamite. No. So you can see Hook on the platform. (laughs) Subway train passes by, and then when the last carriage accelerates out of frame, Hook is gone. What is this (laughs) meant? It's, It's obviously a very broad, like, wrestling thinks it's clever. Yes. Visual metaphor thing. Uh, for what? <laughs> yeah, we blink and you'll miss them. All that's left is a bag of chips. <laughs> what? Uh, I've got absolutely no idea. Haven't the foggiest? <laughs> so, uh, Claudio and you are uh, backstage yelling to the camera that you don't mess with the, uh, you don't play with fire, you don't mess with the Blackpool Combat Club. Um, the beating that Pac suffered at death before Dishonor is nothing compared to what he'd get if they cross paths again. John Moxley wanders in and warns ahead of the main event, Lucha Bros and Best Friend, who are going to pay for Pac's mistake. Because that's what you happen when you mess with his, fr- his friends. I did like the line, you Clint Eastwood denim wear an ass. Not bad. Not his best by heart by far. Not even the best something something ass comment on this show. Don't you worry, Michael Sidgwick. I did my work. I have verbatim written down a certain promo for later because I sense you and I might have a bit of fun with that. Yeah. So, yeah, Jack Perry comes out to, again, still weird, Beethoven. <laughs> it's, I was like, 
Was that a one-week thing? Because I still think it's, it's so weird, isn't it? And I'm not saying go to Baltimore, obviously, but is it Beethoven's fifth? Why is he coming out to evil mastermind music? His music should be douchey. Yeah, it should be grunt, like... Just, just and I think if it's hard to pin down what his music should be. Like, if we had the... Did it, did it, did it, did it. What licensed theme should they use for Jack Perry's music? Um, Because I don't know what the character is really. No, like you could pitch him being some sort of Hollywood arsehole. He's like an aloof Hollywood brat who's realized, hang on. I can just start taking shortcuts. Mm. Um, I couldn't get it done. I'm going to take some shortcuts. He's such a generic heel. Yes. And weird at the same time. <laughs> These things should not be in the same description, but here we are. Yeah. So if he's an aloof, douchey, Hollywood heel, um, he should come out to something like... I don't know. No, I, I'm. I've got a complete blank. I'm drawing here. Like, should it be? It shouldn't be energetic. No. I don't know. I've got absolutely no idea. Yeah, it can't. He just wears sunglasses. He wears sunglasses, and he's banging hot chicks, and. He disrespects the things the fans like. Yeah. I, I've got... It's just... I, I've got any idea. Dennis Leary, I'm an asshole. Like, <laughs> that's what I'm coming out with right now. I've just, I've, I'm honestly... I don't know what this character is, and I just know that it's not great. He's got a T-shirt, right? And you look at it, and he's wearing... You're like, wait a second. Why is he wearing a hook T-shirt? Let me look a little bit closer. Covered in piss. No, it's, uh, <laughs> it doesn't just say hook. It says I beat. So he's gone and bought Hook's t-shirt. I love the, the barrel price. I'm gonna buy one Hook t-shirt and I'm gonna get one of those iron-on transfers with the word I beat on it. I'll show him. Well, like I beat Hook. <laughs> the orange shorts. I kind of want a pair of them for my, yeah. for my holiday, which uh, can't come soon enough. Actually, <laughs> uh, he says Tony Schiavone's chatting to him, and uh, Jack Perry says. Uh, he's lost. After his first loss, he's realized he can't hang with the big boys. So now he's on the train to nowhere. <laughs> Remember the train thing? Going anywhere. Remember the train thing from two minutes ago? <laughs> that makes sense. You see, let it play out, guys. He, I did like He wasn't this. on the train. <laughs> he, he, he went nowhere, but he wasn't on the train. They're not like superimposed him next to one of the windows. Oh, there's Hook. He's, he's on the train to nowhere, sadly. He says, uh, I didn't want to win this title uh, when I talked about winning gold in 2023. This feels written, doesn't it? Yes. This doesn't feel booked. This is one of many AEW programs that feels written, mm. and I hate that. Basically, he said, I didn't want to win this title because this title doesn't mean anything. But then when I won the title, now it's the real deal, which I thought was a quite you know nice sort of heel touch of that. This is a piece of tin, but now I've won it. Actually, it's the biggest title in the um, he's the best wrestler to ever hold the title. He starts running down Taz, his mates, and of course ECW. <laughs> Again, fever dream time. 
which of course brings out Jerry Lynn, <laughs> who says, we pay for way for this goddamn generation without ECW and being a jungle boy, right? And Jack's like, who the fuck's jungle boy? I'm Jack Perry. Uh, and he basically says, you keep running your mouth, you'll get your ass kicked, boy. And he squares up to him. And Jack Perry, the coward that he is, goes, oh, I'm not dressed to fight. Uh, um, so how about, <laughs> not exactly as Taz pointed out, in keeping with the FTW title, how about we schedule a match for next week? Um, and that's where they left it. Jerry Lynn versus Jack Perry next week. But then when they did the graphic, it was like one-on-one confrontation. Yes. So I'm expecting, given... Jerry Lynn um, retired. I think he had like, yeah. neck issues and he's very old. He's not been active in 12 years or something. A pretty careful beatdown. Yes. Um, and then the hook running. If we are already relying on ECW nostalgia to hit people's emotional receptors for this, then you know, you know you've kind of got a problem. Like I thought this was so bad. Yes. Like... Jack Perry is kind of at this point the opposite of a character who knows himself inside out with the ability to conduct an audience. Like, quite literally, I was cringing because it was the opposite. That bit where he's doing the whole, if I motion to speak and then stop talking and listen, are the crowd booing me? Yeah. Oh, if I do that, they'll boo me even more. And he kept doing it. And you're not getting the intended response yes. here. You're not conducting this crowd. You've got no, like, like control over them. But the more you're pretending to do it, it's like you're a guy out there failing to follow instructions. Yes. And he just cannot take him seriously. This has been a complete misfire. A total misfire. It was necessary as well. I know. Felt. I don't know where he goes. That's the thing. I do not know where he goes from here. Can you imagine Jack Perry... Headlining a pay per view against like a top baby face. Uh, absolutely. Like, is Jack Perry going to be the one to dethrone Orange Cassidy? Like, even that? Yeah. Even that? No. Headlining a pay per view as a heel? No. Where does he go from here? Like, I uh, feel for him. This, is, this must be a bad period in the guy's life. But Jesus Christ, the baby face turn was getting uh, pushed, was getting a little bit forced, and the fans let him have it. Usually, this is like the get out of. Oh, it's fine to turn them. Yeah. But what do you do when the turn doesn't work out? Yeah, and it feels also like... He's supremely talented at certain things. Yeah, I was going to say, not in terms of work, because obviously, but is it too far to say, Mom, can we have Dirty Dom? No, we've got Dirty Dom at home. (laughs) Jack Perry. Together they make a fantastic wrestler. (laughs) Yes. Because one of them's really great at playing a dickhead heel and the other one can actually wrestle. (laughs) Um... I think can find some way to splice them together, then maybe I'll give it toss. Because I, I do feel bad for him. Like this is meant to be his big like make good. It felt and like, it has not worked. It feels like, okay, first step in the process of, you know, turning him heel, he turns on hook and he takes the FTW title away from him. I it's I sense that if you were planning this out, you know, a few months ago and you're like, okay, where do we go from there? You don't go Jerry Lynn, you have that as like a, well, if it starts faltering, maybe let's have Jerry Lynn go. It's like they've already done the in emergency break glass, beat up an ECW legend, or, you know, someone defending the honour of the FTW title or whatever it may be. Yeah, I'm worried about this. If that was the plan all along, it's not a great one. No. Like, I'm 
I used to watch ECW. I used to love ECW at 37 years old and more than 37 reunions and <laughs> angles, it feels like. My um, desire to chant EC dub has never been lower. EC dub. EC dub. Like Jerry Lynn, like I love the RVD matches, but that wasn't even the peak of, AEW, of ECW. No. You can make the argument that it peaked in 95 before they even got on pay-per-view. Ah, this is just hollow nostalgia bait. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Renee Baguette is backstage with Britt Baker. She reacts to Ty Valkyrie's comments on Collision. Uh, she says, thanks. I'm excited for our first time meeting. I'm going to drag you to the deep end, though. You're swimming with sharks. That's a cliche. I'm not being funny, right? This is going to sound so much more harsh than it needs to be. But remember when Britt Baker was funny? Like, yeah. Not being funny. Like, I tweeted this this morning, like, because I've been thinking on this. That spark of we are absolutely firing on all cylinders creatively that existed between 2020 and 2021 when, like, so many characters were just effortlessly and incidentally funny mm. without ever doing the whole funny doesn't draw money or being actual caricatures. Like, some of Britt Baker's patter was just amazing. Mm. And that aspect of a character, she's, like, one of the funniest people ever in wrestling, the peak of that character. And now she just doesn't try What's gone on? Yeah. What, and it, it, that is such a hard thing to articulate because it was very much a vibe thing. When you've got all the momentum in the world and you're just drenched in confidence and all of your roster are just competing. You no, know, I'm going to be the star. I'm going to be, I'm going to win this quarter. Yeah. Hour. It just felt they were all motivated so highly to just do these things and then they could just be really confident and funny. Like, Hangman Page, the last time Hangman Page made me laugh was when he had that match with the BCC, the trios match, and he came up with a 
boy popper of the of the lower um, yeah. third of used to go by a sexually suggestive and anatomically misleading <laughs> yes. team name. Like that's the hangman page I used to know. Elements of that character are now so few and far between that it's no wonder he's no longer absolute main character build everything around this. He used to be so funny. Baker, like this even like last year of the sandbag thing. Yeah. Like she hasn't done anything or she hasn't been encouraged to do anything. Like those, just those absolutely wonderful, um, like non sequiturs. Yeah, where have they gone, and why are they not there? I don't know. Yeah, she just said TBS is. I think it's a yeah. I think it's a byproduct of just the momentum is gone, the kind of vibe is gone, the novelty's gone, that feeling that they are just conquering everything and smashing everything. With that being gone, I just don't think that the sort of confidence within the company is there to just do these absolutely piss-funny non-sequiturs. And that's gone, and that's grim for me. Speaking of patter, pack versus gravity. Oh, f- gravity. <laughs> gravity pretended like he was walking on the moon as part of his entrance. Just in the ring as well. Yeah. I get it. Your name's Gravity. <laughs> right. And then Pat goes, remember me? Let's start of the match. And Excalibur goes, because he was the man that gravity forgot. And then I like that. And then I was like, okay, get on with it. And they spent a minute with gravity like going, guys, what's he do? Who the hell's this guy? And he's like, I'm back. Look, it's me. Um Pack doing like bodybuilding poses initially was pretty funny. Yes. Like, how could he like look at his form? Yeah, how and he's he like sweeps his hair out. Like that's blocking your view of his face. There's just like strings of wet hair. He's yeah. Like, oh, you might not be able to. It's me. He uh, gets drop kicked to the floor as a result of all this. And uh, Gravity sends him into the barricade and hits a splash off the apron to take us to a break. When we come back, the Blackpool Combat Club are watching from their locker room. Um, and Pac's got him in the corner and he goes, Forget me not! <laughs> oh, God. I thought of you when that happened. I like, thought, I love What's Pac- he made of this? I love Pac so much. I never want to be embarrassed on the guy's behalf. He's Pac! Gravity fights out the corner, leaping crossbody. Pack comes back with some kicks. Uh, they go up top. Pack hits an avalanche brain buster and locks in the brutalized submission, which he doesn't let go despite the submission victory. Brief thoughts on the content of the match because they were only brief. Like, what was this? It wasn't pitched as, our oh, gravity lost, but he really broke through in defeat. Nor was it, our oh, pack has just humiliated this prick and looked like a complete badass. It wasn't like this really closely competitive Peated back and forth. It was just nothing. Mm. Nothing, realistically. I feel like this match should have taken place and been taped at Universal Studios. Of This is a funny match graphic for the ultra-dedicated consume every minute of the YouTube supplementary content. And basically, it's an excuse for Taz to go, oh, Moonwalk Jones with that really hilarious dark commentary bit. It was funny once upon a time. I'm just being miserable. That was where that match belonged. It was a meme of a match graphic that wasn't even like that funny. Mm. And my problem with this, right, is that I can imagine it on paper it's funny. What if the man Gravity forgot was, you know, what if, Gravity was the man, you know what I mean? Like, what if it was an actual person? 
Stupid. <laughs> very, yeah. very stupid. But sometimes things can be so stupid that they become funny. And the idea that this was an actual person who forgot Pac was... It's the sort of thing that, like, if you play against type so drastically once, like, it can be really funny. Um, But this just wasn't. It just wasn't. The bit when he's like, look, how could you forget these abs? Watching Pac do that, I was like, that's that's good stuff. Yeah. Forget me not. <laughs> forget me not. It was like, stop it. Yes. This is not what it was. Uh, I was just, I was, for not the first time on the show, I was cringing. It was very surprising to me that AEW took influence from what culture wrestling's wrestling catchphrase where... It's like, who's this wrestler? And it's like, I've bought a dragon mask and I put an American flag hat on. Oh, who could that be? And then I'm fairly certain we did the man that gravity forgot with me just going, whoa, <laughs> just like, you know, green screening me up. What's happening? It's forgotten about me. But they've done an actual match and he's gone, forget me not. That was so bad. It's one thing to do the bit at the start. Yeah. Which he could... If you want to just do the deranged head cannon bit, you could say, oh, he's lulling him into the basement dropkick. He's being mischievous and nasty because his character is a bastard. The fact that he seemed actually annoyed that Gravity had forgot him, a wrestler who hadn't even started wrestling when he had the nickname, was too stupid. It was simply too stupid. Yes. And as a punchline, it wasn't even like a joke. It was yeah. Like, Forget me not. Was uh, it? Uh, I can't remember who, who it was. Someone just won the Cruiserweight Championship. This is what I need from Pac. So whoever it is, I think it was Rich Swans, yeah. won the Cruiserweight Championship. He literally fake applauds him. He gets into the ring. I'm, I've watched it so many times. I'm 99% certain. He claps twice. One, two, punch in the face. What you needed there was Pac entrance, gravity entrance. You don't, re you don't remember goes, remember me. Remember me? Bang. Bang. Yeah. And then just kills him in two of, minutes. Yeah. Um, I will say that. Doing a Universal Studios dark match on Dynamite a month away from All In, like, come on, get bloody serious. You need cheering up, Sitch. We go backstage with MJF and Adam Cole. Yes, this is fantastic. She uh, asks about winning the blind tournament, the blind eliminated tournament, and uh, obviously challenging for the tag titles on Saturday, which we will, of course, preview on our AW Collision preview that comes out tomorrow. Um and Cole starts the promo and MJ for me. She goes, I'll take it from here. And he uh, goes after both members of FTR, uh, who he says were better off when they were his lackeys. <laughs> he says, Cash, rocking a mullet in 2023? Very brave. Business in the front, party in the back. Every time you make eye contact with a woman, all they want to do is yak. I'm not being funny. Cash Wheeler is an absolute piece. Yeah. I think the man is so handsome. Well, then he turns his attention to the other half of <laughs> FTR, Dax Harwood, who he described as a Mr. Clean Yosemite Sam looking ass. <laughs> he says, and you cut the same promo all the time. I need your help with this. I love my wife. I love my baby daughter. I love his been here. No flips, just feels. <laughs> He's going to punch him so hard in the face, he'll spit out CM Punk's jockstrap. <laughs> well, I got, I got a combat sports meathead energy when he said that. I was like, <laughs> get him. 
This is so great because Dax evidently already hates him. <laughs> yeah. Let's give that guy more ammunition. Because he said later on, he said, you make my wife or my daughter, I'll rip your goddamn eyeballs out. I was like, well, you've got a surprise waiting for you when you watch Dynamite. Hey, no, I don't watch that show. I'm a collider. I, watch I said, no flips. I watched some old uh, territory stuff back in the day. Hey, you ever seen that? This thing's called Jim Crocker Promotions. Yes, Dax, you're not the only one. Hey, you know I actually wrestled there. No, you didn't. I know you think you did, and it's kind of weird, but you didn't. So, yeah, MJF continues. The only three initials in this sport that matter on FTR, it's MJF. Better than you, Adam Cole, baby. Remind me to ask you about a question we got sent about merch in a bit. Anyway, Cole says, look, never in a million years did I expect to become friends with MJF, but it's been keeping me up. I want to clarify something. You have nothing to worry about regarding the whole world title thing post-match, right? You know, I'm not concerned about that. And he talks about him not just becoming a friend or even a close friend, but a best friend. And MJF responds the same way. He says, look, win, lose, or draw, we've become such good friends. I want to give you a rematch for the world title after collisions out of the way. And in comes Grumpy Roderick Strong. He's not having any of this. He shoves MJF. He says, you... Kidding me? Don't trust him. I, what is he said? I think he came in. He came in saying, "I saw it in his eyes." <laughs> right? And he's like, "MJF's like, what the, going on?" He, what does he call him? Like a generic CAW wrestler, yeah. or something, something along those lines. Anyway, he's like, "Control your boy," says MJF. And calls like, "Hey, hey, calm down, calm down, calm down." He tells MJF to leave, and he says to Strong, "Roddy, what the bloody hell are you doing? I love you, Roddy, but you know, you're what are you doing here?" You're pushing me away because you're talking about not trusting me. And then Roddy again goes to go after MJF. And Cole shoves him back and says, hey, boundaries. First of all, this is tremendous. Between the two things, and I'll talk about the second, the FTR responses when you recap yeah. it. Like, AEW have had a tendency this year to do their layered storytelling in a way that I just find so much more unfocused than fascinating. And I found this just incredibly simple but effective yeah. promo dual build-up so unbelievably effective. You've got someone, Dax Harwood, who seems to really hate MGF. And my God, the look on his eyes was, is he going to shoot on Saturday? Great. Give me that energy in a wrestling match. Yeah. And it's a hard-to-predict outcome that you could honestly think you can go either way with this. And there's believable animosity. And MGF, because he's such a great, great, great pot stirrer, has given Dax Harwood, who seems to already loathe MGF, even more reason to give him maybe a stiff shot. That's what you want. Mm -hmm. You want a match that's big, that is unpredictable, that feels like it could fall apart and yeah. go awry with some shots and receipts. Like, that's wrestling, man. Yeah. And I love this. And I thought this build was fantastic, right? One more bit. Like, obviously, the MGF doing, I love my family, my, my wife, and my baby daughter, and business. 
ever since I stepped foot in that ring against Carl Gotch, I just got the taste for it. <laughs> I just got the taste for this business, and the only thing that's in my blood is the wrestling business and tequila. <laughs> like, fantastic. It's about time, genuinely, that if you're going to be that earnest, you're going to invite ridicule, yeah. and it's about time someone did it for heat against Dax. Um, so that was great. Very funny. Like, very funny. Very cathartic. Um, and Dax Harwood, I won't I'll talk about it when we get to it. His response was awesome. Like, I can take the piss out of Dax Harwood. Yeah, you know, just part of my... He was awesome in his response yeah. here, right? I need to check something very quickly. Bear with me. I should have done this before the podcast, but the thought just has entered my mind. The take has just entered my mind. Wait there. I'm on MJF's cage match, right? Uh-huh. He... Defeated Adam Cole. No, no, you had a time limit draw, obviously, with Adam Cole on the 14th of June. Okay. What is today's date? The 27th of July. Okay. And the first round of the Tag Team Eliminator happened this month on the 5th. Wow. Okay. This month on the 5th was the first time they teamed together, right? When Adam Cole said to MJF, you are becoming one of my best friends. Think of really how short a time frame yeah. I've been on. Think also about how many times MGF has done the I'm a snake, I'm a snake, I'm a snake thing. How did I believe Adam Cole when he said this? Yeah. It's the magic of this story, the absolute magic. And sometimes, you know, I've been low on this episode of Dynamite, but sometimes there's just absolutely nothing like this. <laughs> so, uh, I was going to say FTR respond, but obviously they haven't seen what's just gone on. They've just recorded their own uh, build-up to the big collision. I'll tell you one thing. They sh I don't know what the schedules were like. MJF and Cole should have done this live. This yeah. show was crying out mm -hmm. for a hot live promo segment slash angle. Mm. Um, uh, Cash Wheeler starts us off. Excited about collision. Excited about the title match. Uh, feels bad about Adam Cole being dragged into all this. Look, they respect Cole. But they hate MJF. They talk about the history with him and being a devil. Uh, he calls himself a generational talent. He's a generational ass-kisser. Whilst we're ass-kickers. Sure More that. like ass-kickers. Uh, everyone who's been with MJF... You get that promo given to you by the WWE writer by any chance. Seven-year itch. <laughs> <laughs> everyone who's been with MJF, including his fiancée... Once they get to know him, leave him. Uh, and Harwood fires up, um, talks about, you know, the obvious jokes that uh, MJF's going to make about him. Uh, and uh, he's angry at MJF for making a mockery of... Uh, this business! He's not going to get gimmicked up like MJF. This is real to him. Uh, dance off. It's funny, yeah. Yeah, very good. Yeah, and he's taking the piss. Very funny. But uh, I'm not going to make a mockery of professional wrestling. I won't let you either. I'm not just going to beat you up. That's too easy. I'm going to beat the shit out of you on Saturday. Sorry for swearing. My daughter might be watching. So speaking of which, if you measure my wife or daughter, I'll rip your goddamn eyeballs out. Uh, and he apologizes for what's about to happen to Adam Cole. But uh, they're going to beat them at collision. Top guys, out. I have been waiting patiently since August of last year to watch a program between two acts who legitimately cannot stand one another. Yeah. 
that feels like it's never going to happen. MJF and Dax Harwood have got this. If you listen to the Dax Harwood podcast on um, the Pinnacle, there is real animosity there, like genuinely. Mm-hmm. This feels like two guys who just maybe you were friends once and then just it didn't end well. No. And they are going to have a work fight. And I'm giddy at the prospect of suspending my disbelief because they've made it so very easy. Dax Harwood looked like if MGF had walked into shot or if he'd finished cutting this promo and you've got the adrenaline, mm-hmm. if he'd saw MGF, I think he would have went from. Mm-hmm. He probably wouldn't have. The two professionals, obviously, but the feeling nonetheless was still there. He looked like he was wanting that guy dead. Mm. Bring on Saturday. I wish they were doing this at Wembley. Yeah. I wish they were doing this at Wembley. We'll talk more about this, hopefully, later today. Yeah, we're recording that for tomorrow, just schedule-wise. But it will be be coming out on Friday, our uh, collision preview. And I've got got a little something to add some. As if this fire needs any more petrol. I might have something for you. Oh, yeah. Uh, Swerve Strickland versus Darby Allen. Uh, Nick Wayne's at ringside with uh, Darby. And, of course, Prince Nana is there with Swerve. Uh, there's almost a, a sort of reverse carbon copy of what happened on Royal Rampage with Darby Allen being the one on the apron. But this time, Strickland dies to the outside. Darby dodges and manages to hit a code red out there. Um, great, uh, great spot then on whilst they're out there. There's... Steps are getting involved, and Strickland tries to send Darby Allen into them. Darby Allen does that great thing where he sort of dives over them, rolls, and then comes back against his opponent. But Strickland's seen this all before, and he launches himself off the steps and nails him with a house call kick. Oh, my God. The first one of the pod. Bloody hell. Really good, that. Mm. Um, Strickland controls the break. He's taunting uh, Nick Wayne whilst he's doing all this. Um, Strickland... Is in control. He hits a roll-through flatliner and a big old suplex, and then they trade some roll-ups. Uh, Strickland kicks out of the last supper. He rolls to the apron. Darby Allen spears him through the ropes, basically lands on his head on the outside whilst he does that. Strickland rolls to the floor again. Darby Allen goes to do his tope, and Swerve just takes his head off with a knee as he's going through the ropes with a knee lift. Oh, my God. Love that. Back inside, Strickland hits the swerve stomp, but Darby Allen kicks out. Um, they go up top. Darby Allen manages a sort of avalanche over the top stunner on Strickland. That sends him to the apron. I thought, Oof, that was a wild spot. I wasn't ready for what came next. Darby Allen sets up for the coffin drop. Strickland pulls out his feet and hits a Death Valley driver off the second rope onto the ring apron. Oh my God. Jeez. Uh, and in amongst all this, the referee gets distracted uh, with um, Prince Nana and obviously Nick Wayne runs around to interfere as well to, to counteract that, basically, as Darby Allen's trying to get back in the ring. But suddenly someone runs in with a, ho- with a hoodie on, posts him, shoves him back in the ring. Strickland hits the JML driver, one, two, three, and it is revealed that the man who uh, made the attack, obviously, <laughs> on Darby revealed. Allen. Yeah, is AR Fox. Uh, they beat up Allen and Wayne post-match. Uh, AR Fox, I don't know what he was trying to do. I think he was trying to stomp on the middle of the skateboard to break it. And it just looks like he tried to do an Or like do a kickflip, yeah, or something. Like a bad one on purpose. Like, oh, this is stupid. Yeah. Remember when Jericho 
Oh, did this little... Did the little skateboard yeah. in the Derby Allen match. You know the... Uh, what's it called? It's the little Mandela effect where you, like, misremember things. Yes. In my head, when he does that, he also does the bit with the cone on his head and goes... <laughs> no, he doesn't. They're two bits that have just merged bits. in my head, yeah. basically. Uh, yeah, and Prince Nana gives uh, A.R. Fox a Mogul Embassy t-shirt to celebrate. In-ring in ring highlight of the night, but yes. because I'm a, just a miserable prick, um, like, I did think... They've got more in them and better in them. And yeah. that's because I saw a better match between these two guys in April. Um, I still really enjoyed it for what it was. And um, that match in April was like one of my favorite dynamite matches of the year because like I don't know how they did this, but they did an avalanche poison runner from the apron to the outside. And they that wasn't the peak of the match. <laughs> that match in April felt like a fight to the death and a spectacular wrestling match yeah. all at the same time when those things should collide. Mm-hmm. This had its incredible moments, but those moments were better than the sum of the the whole of the match. Mm-hmm. Um, that Death Valley driver was ridiculous, oh. and I didn't think I'd ever wince at a apron spot ever again. So well done, I think, <laughs> for doing that. Um, and the connection on that knee counter was just uh, oh my god. Um, but I sensed that obviously they weren't holding back, but I sensed that it wasn't being worked. Like a great, great balls out match, knowing that there's going to be an iffy finish here. Yeah. And on that, even though both were tainted, Darby Allen, number one contender to the TNT title, has. Oh, yeah. I didn't eaten, think of that. Eaten two uh, pins in five days. Like, come on. You never used to do this. Why are you doing this now? <laughs> why are you being. Why are you getting worse when more people are added to the creative and it's apparently meant to be more focused and there's meant to be more accountability and continuity and you're meant to be on top of this it's getting it's getting worse mm. these additions to production and creative much um trumpeted as you know game changers yeah fixes it's got worse on both ends for me of the uh, of the those areas yeah um and tony Schiavone as well oh god love him and i love him so much like, you ever seen Donnie Darko? Yeah. Right. Jesus Christ, that sounds like a six-form chat-up line. <laughs> I'm very clever. Yeah. I've watched Donnie Darko. You heard of a guy called Jake Gyllenhaal? <laughs> <laughs> but in that film, Drew Barrymore, the teacher, says that in phonoesthetics, the most beautiful-sounding word in the English language is celador. I think that's bollocks. <laughs> And the most beautiful word in the English language, only when uttered by Tony Schiavone, is telecast. Ooh. When he was on, we've got a great telecast for you. And him saying that in 1996 is just, oh my God, honey in my ears. Mm. So I love him so much. And he's just the nicest, warmest guy. He plays dumb too often these days. Yeah. Who could that be? It's fing <laughs> AR Fox. Yeah, didn't one didn't Taz basically go? Yeah, he's coming up in figures. Yeah, one he's wearing the same gear he wore in the opener. Two, it's AR Fox. Oh, don't take the piss. This is the company that's not meant to do this. Yeah, really good, if not not great match. Yeah, but really, really good. Uh, full disclosure: when I first watched Donnie Darko, I went, uh... huh? <laughs> I loved it, me. Took me, it took me a few goes. I am the most pretentious tosser I know, so of course it spoke to me. Yeah. What was the uh, word that, uh, what was the Drew Barrymore thing? Celador. Most beautiful. 
sounding word in the English language. She obviously never heard. Way! But, you know. Imagine if I'd been in Donnie Docker. How do you think that would have gone down? Uh, who would you have played? I don't want to say it. <laughs> <laughs> With Adam Wilborn as the bunny? <laughs> You're all right, Donnie. What was next on Dynamite, mate? Oh, yeah, sorry. Uh, well, from a fox to a bunny to Jericho Appreciation Society. <laughs> pen drop for your segue. Pen drop for this segment. <laughs> What's going on with the JAS? Who gives a f***? <laughs> Renee Paquette's backstage. And all the, all the gang's there. And they're all going into uh, Chris Jericho's dressing room. Daddy Magic, Cool Hand Ange, uh, Anna Jay, Tay Conti. Uh, and they're like, nice painting. <laughs> Let's forget about that. How's the baby, Tay Conti? She's like, never mind the baby. What's going on with you? This was such so badly scripted. Oh, my God. And uh, Cool Hand Ange is like, hey, hey, you gave me this comb. I'm not giving you back yet. Because, you know, we believe in you, blah, blah, blah. Anna Jay's like, you're being selfish. We've been appreciating you, and you don't you don't appreciate us, Chris Jericho. And like Jake Hager said, until you can, we can't give you our 100%. And everyone leaves, except Daddy Magic, who says, Jericho, figure things out fast. Absolutely atrocious. Absolutely terrible on every conceivable level. I cannot be doing with this end of storyline right now. Why can't I just have Kenny Omega versus Hidosuke Takeshi? <laughs> yeah, I know. They've built this match. They've built for... When was it? When was, when was Don Callis first properly aligned? When did Don Callis start in New Japan? I want to say 2018, 2017. Okay. The six f***ing years. I'm sorry, Wilborn. It's all right. For six f***ing years, they have told the story of Don Callis as the ultimate hype man. Like, what an absolute... Like, Kenny Omega didn't need, like, hyping up. But you could never... Even if you didn't like him, you're an idiot if you don't like Kenny Omega. Like, Don Callis' bluster, his hype man, his conviction, his hyperbole. Kenny, by God, Omega... For him to betray Kenny by God Omega, an actual shock and heel turn. Yeah. And they've spent six years establishing this close-knit relationship, and now Jericho's involved in it. The J-A-S. The acting and the dialogue. Hey, maybe you don't appreciate us. I don't know which one of them in that room who's recently been allowed into the room if it's QT Marshall. I don't care if it's Brian King Danielson, <laughs> yeah. whoever wrote that line deserves to get... Uh, I got really annoyed by this because what annoys me, right, about this is that the acting, obviously, is absolutely horrendous, okay? Absolutely horrendous, right? This is a sports entertainment parody group of clowns. Yes. Okay? Ultimately... You could make the argument that within months, they were rendered out of date. 
you can't it became very TNA when WWE got hot which they did mm-hmm. within like that three months of oh this is quite good this is this is actually quite funny I don't think they ever you know when this group started we were like oh they could do this mm. oh, WWE do this and they could do this I don't think they ever scratched the surface no. of what they could actually do and then by the time that I start to think ah oh, they're missing loads of easy gags with this pretty cool idea to parody WWE. Then Triple H, I you know, I don't think that's great, but he got it hot. Yeah. And he got it popular, then instantly it became TNA. Yeah. And then the BCC thing went on and on and on and on and on. And then the Starks thing was terrible and the JAS were doing go- It's been rubbish and out of time and irrelevant for ages. Yeah. Even if it was still timely or whatever, like it's not this beloved group. It isn't. They are clowns who parody sports entertainment and they've been doing it for months and months and months after um it became pointless to mm. do that. It be- didn't become like a punchline. It didn't become cathartic for the AEW yeah. audience because it's just eight WWE. I don't think it's that great to be honest. I'm out of touch with it. Um, but people think it's hot and it's good, mm. right? So it becomes desperate, TNA territory. Even if it was still a potent bit of satire, <laughs> which it never friggin' was. These are clowns mm. with props and combs. The idea that there are, like, interpersonal relationships within this group of clowns is ridiculous. I cannot take it seriously, it's such a horrible mishmash in terms of the tone and the melodrama and the saga now. It's such a horrible mishmash between character and weight of material or intended weight of material that it is like they've done a reboot of The Elephant Man and they have decided to recast the sympathetic Frederick Treves, played by Anthony Hopkins, and decided to recast him with hardcore f***ing Holly. This material is not warranted by what these characters fundamentally are. Yeah. And it's one-dimensional clown show stuff that should have really been banted off the face of the friggin' earth months ago. How can... Is there a single soul alive on this planet who's going, oh, no. (laughs) Don't give him the comb back. Yeah, you, you know my love. I'm going to preface this by saying you know my love for uh, Matt Menard, Angelo Parker, oh, I, 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 Anna Jay. But I like them on a certain on certain terms. And in terms of another storyline, people like John Silver, for example. But I don't think there's ever since AEW started been so many simultaneous storylines where I'm like, oh my God, who the hell cares? Oh, no. I love John Silver. For ages, he was such a popper, the yeah. meat man and all the rest of it. And now he's like, oh, Hangman Page, you've turned your power, piss off. Yeah. <laughs> do, do something that you're good at. Stay in your lane. Yeah. You cannot navigate emo- like intended emotionally complex material. Like, absolutely soap opera bollocks, and you're meant to be parodying it. <laughs> yes. You, you've you're not meant to do it. You've eaten yourself. Is that the phrase? Yes. Yeah. It's eating itself. That's now I'm left with the sh- Right, that's the last swear word I'm going to do on this podcast, Wilborn. I'm sorry. It's, I understand why you're so frustrated with all this. 
Um, Chris Jericho's like, huh, what do I do? I know, like, or an extended fuzzy to a mate. Like, yeah. this is, you know as well as anybody else that this kept you fresh. Mm. This kept you popular and beloved when you did it in WWE. My God. Could be getting quite the collection. He's got a hat. He's got a comb. He's got the whole outfit, basically. Just needs that app to colour in the top of his. Uh, Britt Baker versus Tyre Valkyrie was next. Not on the same wavelength is the way I would describe large ah, parts of this match. Not remotely dynamic. Very clunky. Yeah. Do the recap and I'll give you two minutes Valkyrie of used, my time. Valkyrie used her power to gain control. Uh, and, well, it, it all fell apart with that road to Valhalla, basically, didn't it? They countering each other. Baker's trying to misdirect and she suddenly gets snatched up. And me and you and Phil Chambers today have been in the office and we've... Zapruder film. Yeah, zooming in hands. We've yeah, back and back and to the left, rewound it, and gone. What happened here? Because she's got her up for the road to Valhalla. She's like, Very early to tease this. Yeah, got her up early, and there was a number of spots uh, where, like, she went for it, and um, well, the finish, for example, got countered. But she gets her up, and I don't know whether it was meant to be like, like, say, out of nowhere, and maybe she's meant to. I think she's in the process of moving her hands. Down. This is what I've picked up. I don't know if you've got something different. Again, we've never, absolutely ta- we've never taken a problem in our lives. We're not saying, oh, this is a botch, which means this is the end of wrestling. But I was just trying to work out what's gone on because I think as Tyre's moving our hands, Britt thinks that means we're going, whereas Tyre thinks in about a second we're going to go. I'm just going to get my hands in the right place and then send you down. So why would they do that early? I don't know. But then, but basically, Baker goes down and sort of Tyre just falls over with she her. She pissed. And understand, fair play to Tyre, at least. She didn't go, well, I'll still go for the fall because Excalibur's like, didn't get all of it, which is, you know, a surefire way to, to tell about this. So she just mounts on her and just starts punching her because it's all gone a bit awry. Uh, come back. I think we go to a break then. Come back. Crowd are still kind of pissed with the botch. Um, Baker gets Valkyrie with a ripcord strike. Uh, and Valkyrie kicks out a one. They forearm each other. Valkyrie just dives for a lariat. Baker wants Panama Sunrise. Valkyrie counters into Northern Lights. Baker gets back in control, gets the Panama Sunrise for two, takes too long putting on her glove. Valkyrie hits a spear, goes for the road to Valhalla, but Baker counters and gets the lockjaw for the win. And immediately as the bell rings, the, the cameras cut to a sign in the crowd that simply says, book the women's division better. Uh, that's, you know... The farce of it all, isn't it? Um, oh my god, I they just didn't have any chemistry whatsoever, and it was clunky, different wavelengths. They're, like they're they've each got that ability to sort of get the crowd back. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're both stars in a certain way. Baker, obviously, the much bigger one. But then uh, when they did the forearm battle, it's like, well, the crowd's just like uh, some wrestling crowds are just seals. I don't know what to tell you. They'll just go, huh? Oh, I know why. Ooh, yay. Ooh, yay. Like, I, I know what I'm meant to do at this moment. Like, they are bra- like the Mancurian candidates. <laughs> um, so I don't think it was a particular, you know, masterful display of crowd psychology to get them to stop booing them mercilessly. Oh, man, this is bleak. This is bleak. And, my God, there's more than one thing in AEW where I just, I wish to take a month off. It can't happen. That's the one thing wrestling really has going for it is this 
property that generates TV revenue and TV rights deals. Of oh, we'll never starve. Oh, that sounds good. Never. Why not? Why would you do that? Yeah. If they just took a month off and just be like, what are we doing with certain parts of this show? Like, what are we doing with the outcasts? We, we were booking. We were like, well, presumably maybe Taya joins the outcasts and maybe she loses to... to the law of the outcasts is Soraya fails to get over as a baby face, right? And it's been almost one full year of, right, we should turn a heel and do this. What's the... That indicates to me that there's never been a single plan, ever. It, there's been a plan for the beginning, middle, and end of MGF's title reign. Yes. Like, pretty much guaranteed. Um, the fact that they've gone, ooh, right, okay, that's, f- that's doing things. All right, Soraya, ooh, people don't like her because she's coming with this entitled um, savior attitude. Right, we should probably turn her, and then we should spend the next year of our programming just doing the same stuff. What am I doing? Uh, um, you know, Jade Cargill, uh, Statlander got injured before we could do the switch. All right, okay, let's spend eight months just doing the same thing. It's... That sign was the small semblance of karma. Yeah. In response to what they do with this division. Take a month off and realize, should we have spent eight months at least doing this storyline purely because we misjudged and Soraya like, didn't read the room correctly? How has that led to this for yeah. this long? Like, well, you... Not to pile oh. on here, but I've just we're about to get to the main event, so I want to remember to ask this question. Thank you to Joshua James who sent this to us on Twitter. Question for you for you and Sid on the podcast, writes Joshua. Have you followed the news on the merch on the show? What are your feelings on that situation? Seems like a logical disaster of their own making. Love the pod. All the best from Germany. Impression welcome. Shall I do it again, but in a German? He's asking for it. A question? <laughs> Don't. Um, we'll yeah. Say it all again. I've, I've got sidetracked. <laughs> Yeah, there's a. I was reading a bit of this on Twitter yesterday. Issues, let's say, with getting merch over to England for All In. I haven't watched it yet. No, but there's no excuse for them not having, you know, just every available outlet selling merch. You know, the, the Adam Cole MJF one is selling like hotcakes. Um, but the fact that they might have... The, the amount of time they've been able to prepare for this and the fact that... Why don't you just have to press friggin' print? Yeah. <laughs> They get full. The fact that they have uh, it's never been easy. properties in the UK, i.e. Fulham Football Club. But, yeah, can you not just get the lads? Actually, that's a point. Why don't you just get the lads who print Mitrovic on the back of a Fulham football shirt, just print a few Adam Cole, oh, we're better than you, baby, T-shirts. Do you have to do that? It's all on a JPEG? Yeah. It's all on a database? That's how these things work and have done for years under the PWT's model where... I've got a very limited understanding, but I'm fairly certain it goes something like this. Download JPEG. Create a file that's a T-shirt. Print, print, print. Email. Michael Sidgwick has ordered, because he's a mark, this Kenny Omega T-shirt. Okay. Print. <laughs> Go over to the T-shirt printer. I've seen the documentary from PWTs. This is how it... Print. Right, we are able to do this in an hour, one hour tease. Yeah. Right, okay, we'll just print the T-shirt. Bag it and send it. Right, you can just print them. You don't need a factory. You just need a, sh- you just need a printer now. This has apparently been a problem for the entire live event. Yeah. Present, like, uh, every live event, there's like, we went, there was one stall and a big queue. And it's just like... Of course, yeah, I forgot that, yeah. One stall... One big queue. I'm not being funny. We walked 
around the arena because we were idiots who couldn't find your seats. <laughs> this was the T-Mobile and the MGM Grand. Yeah. So we we saw what wasn't there and what, what there wasn't was loads of merch stands. Why did they run it like it's a mom and pop? Like a mom and pop, it's like, I don't understand why they do this. When I've got to counteract Triple H's t-shirt company comment, they're like, we're going to ruin We're not going to do that at all. When I've been to WWE shows, um, first of all, uh, there's more than one. Yeah. Um, and these stands are absolutely enormous, and there's about 12 mm-hmm. people at a minimum work in them. So they can just go bang, 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 bang. And he's queuing, but like, I don't know what they're doing. I do know that it's becoming um, into the subplot of the CM Punk versus Buck saga because you know who's in charge of this merch department. Who's that? Do you know this? It's um, fairly certain it's one of the Young Bucks' wives. I, I, because, I believe so, yeah. Yes, because like she really helped yeah. when yeah. it was BTE and they were just flying and like the, the, I can't. They pioneered this, but there's a, a paradigm has shifted where you're not just doing it mail order anymore. You, you've got to you've got to do something about this. It's you, you're pissing money up the wall. Mm. You're pissing money away, and then CM Punk's mocking it religiously on his Instagram. This is a pretty underreported story. Like, um, I think Brody King came out with a T-shirt, mm-hmm. and he said an actual good design for once on his Instagram story. And then I think he got worked the other day or was just being a dick on purpose. But like it was Death Before Dishonor, Newark, New Jersey. It was in Trenton. But that was either, I don't know what that was, but they were selling the T-shirt at the pay-per-view with one stall with the correct town on it, city on it. So I don't know if he's just been worked and thought, I'll latch onto that without, you know, crossing my T's and dot my I's. But it's becoming a problem because mm. if CM Punk's got the clout that he is, at some point he might just decide to take the pin out of the grenade and say this merch department needs a complete overhaul and I don't give a single toss who runs it. How do you tell the merch department if you're Tony Khan? One, you're fired. Or two, you need to change everything because CM Punk told you. It's this fraud political game. I don't know what you do. No, me <laughs> I'm going to stay out of it, quite frankly. I don't want a T-shirt. I like a tropical shirt. I like a f- retro football top. And I uh, don't like the fits of wrestling shirts, quite <laughs> frankly. I like a nice, ironically, because I've got a dad bod, but I like a slim fit. Mm. I don't care if I look fatter in it. I don't want a big baggy T-shirt. Fair. Why? Because I'm a Fred Durst. So I've got no reason to buy a wrestling T-shirt, really. And I'm staying out of it. Let's get to the main event. Uh, it was the BCC represented by Claudio and Mox uh, versus Best Friends and the Lucha Bros. Uh, the fight starts between Lucha Bros and Best Friends before the BCC can even get to the ring. Big brawl. Uh, Taylor and Mox, uh, Chuck Taylor, that is, brawl up the ramp. Everyone joins on the floor and uh, Chuck hits a somersault dive off the stage onto the pile. Uh, we eventually get back down to the ring and there's a nice exchange between Claudio and Phoenix. A massive springboard arm drag in there. There's a sexy Chucky knee. From uh, Trent Barretta, Moxley jumps in with a cutter. Castagnoli cleans house, just with everyone getting hit by uppercuts. Uh, Trent tries to hit a knee on Claudio, but uh, manages to get a Saito suplex before trying a dive to eat an uppercut before he even managed to take off, basically. It's carnage. Moxley comes in and starts destroying Barretta with a King Kong lariat to take us to a break. When we come back, 
more back and forth. They all six going at one point and just start slugging it out. There's a hug from the best friends. Uh, Mox and Claudio get sent to the outside, and the Lucha Bros get hit with pile drivers from Taylor and Beretta. Um, they t- the Lucha Bros gain control, super kicks. Penta snaps back on the arm of Trent before hitting Maiden in Penta, but Claudio and Mox break things up. They hit the hammer anvil elbows on uh, the best friends. There's a stomp. There's a power bomb by Claudio on Taylor. Um, they set up to uh, Claudio and Mox, and then suddenly Orange Cassidy's music hit, and he runs down to or slowly oh, walk. Why does the music have to hit? He walks down to ringside. It looked a bit in Mox's face like he was like, we're really doing this bollocks, are we? He uh, lays out Wheeler Utah with a punch on the ramp, gets into it with Moxley. Beretta manages to counter Claudio in amongst all this, but as he tightly pins him, the ref's like, I don't know how he's been keeping up with this, but he's like, he's not the legal man. Um, the Lucha Bros take out Beretta with the fear factor. Penta gets the one, two, three, and then post-match, the commentary team are not only putting over the victory for the Lucha Bros, but the second loss in a row for the BCC. Um... Best friends, Cassidy, they're brawling with the BCC. Lucha Bros kind of make Mox have to back off. It's, everyone's brawling, and Excalibur yells that on the 200th episode of Dynamite, which goes on next week, we're going to get Mox versus Trent versus Penta. Oh, why do it again? Anything goes three-way, and I uh, thought, is this what we're going off air with? I thought all three ways, anything goes. Yeah. Like, this was so... This was fine. Like, I, for, a, for a Cassidy Mox... Brawl because of everything that's happened before. It just felt a bit of a flat way to go off oh, the it's air. So flat. This match was. There was the odd bit where I got like, "Oh, I'm watching something exciting." Yeah, I don't really blame. It felt like a phoned-in spot fest. If I'm being b- brutally honest, yeah. I don't blame them when they've tried to craft this absolutely like incredible, elaborate, violent, really tricky with the commercial breaks, blood and guts match last week. That's yes. The week after, they probably don't have the mental reserves and the motivation to mm-hmm. go, right, okay, let's do the best spot fest you've ever seen. So I can understand whether they've went, yeah, I'll do it. Well, they've laid it out and just went, yeah, 10 minutes, it's, you know, we're building something for the next week. That's going to be more violence. So let's just, you know, phone this one in. And there's a nice spot where they were all, one person took a signature slash finisher, but before they could do a pin, the next person came in it. I was like, I quite admired how that was constructed because it felt less contrived than I had any right yeah. to be. But that was, you know, there was no... What I love about the best AEW party match, spot fests, multi-mans, whatever you want to label it, there's always this incredible sense of escalation mm. and invention and creativity and just, like, how have you bloody done that? That's incredible. Mm. I never got that feeling once watching this. It was just a spot fest. Um and it was fine, and it was just weird to do. Like, it was the fourth match out of five on this show where it was a convoluted sequence, high spot, you know. Mm-hmm. So I was just bored by the finish. Like, as I said, like, at the start, this was a dynamite where if you have the absolute most shallow, plagiarized takes imaginable, that's oh, all just spot fests and this and this and this, yeah. you might have been the broken clock watching yeah. this specific edition because it was very much, ah, that's what the people who are arguing bad faith say about Dynamite and I just watched it. Yeah. When you didn't need <laughs> matches, really, that... Uh, Plus, what's happening at All In? I'm Sorry re- to circle yeah, back I know, to it. I know. I'm really looking forward to Collision. 
I'll yes. tell you that. Yeah, we'll have some fun previewing Collision tomorrow, but let us know your thoughts. I'm fascinated to know them on this show on Twitter, at WhatCultureWWE, sorry, on X. Still not used to that. Yeah, you can follow Michael Sidgwick on there, at... M. Sidgwick. Follow me, at Adam Wilborn. Follow us all at WhatCultureWWE, as I said. But for now, this has been the AW Dynamite Review. My thanks to Michael Sidgwick. Thank you for joining us, and we will see you soon. Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.